You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Testudo Times Podcast. I'm Dylan Spilgo, your host alongside hosts Lauren Rosh and Sam Ostry. We have some Maryland football news to briefly go over, and then we will go into all of the Maryland men's basketball news that we've had from since Thursday, which was our last podcast. So Maryland football, they got a big transfer today. They got one of the the bigger fish in the transfer portal to help solidify their offense and special teams. Eastern Michigan kicker Chad Ryland is on with the program. He is with and he committed to head coach Mike Loxley's team. He was the all-time PAT leader at Eastern Michigan, and he's presumably going to be replacing Joey Petrino, senior who finished on a rough stretch this year for Maryland football, uh, had a couple of rough games towards the end of the regular season, went two for two in the bowl game. You know, just quickly talking about Ryland and what, what a quality kicker can mean to this team. Is this kind of like the last missing piece on this offense moving forward into the 2022 season after we saw this Maryland offense kind of find its footing in 2021 with Talia Tagovailoa and the strong receiver core? Was the kicker kind of like the last missing piece to what this offense can be? I thought you had a pun intended there with uh, no, no, find, no find your footing. Maybe Maryland's offense did find their footing finally. <laughs> no puns, no puns. That, they'll come later in the show probably. But we'll um, you know, like they did struggle with special teams, not just in the kicking game, but special teams in general. Obviously, they got in the pinstripe bowl, they got that big special teams touchdown. But in terms of their kick return defense, it, it wasn't great at times. And and also just their kicking in the field goal unit. You know, Joseph Petrino, he had the big go-ahead kick against Illinois early in the season. But beyond that, he really struggled as the season went on to make some easy kicks. So this is absolutely an upgrade. I mean, Ryland is 75% field goal, success, field goal success in his career. I mean, he was 19 for 22 last year, and he had a he kicked a field goal 55 yards. If you can get in that type of range for this offense, especially, I mean, that's that's huge. And it's only going to help you because, look, field goal kicking in special teams is a huge phase in the game. And so Ron Zook, the, the special teams um, co- special teams coordinator, he, it's a huge piece to this puzzle that Maryland's trying to fill. Yeah, and, you know, Maryland's offense is going to be returning a lot of firepower in terms of receivers and having Talia back. So I think that a little maybe having Ryland on the side which will be a little different than Petrino is kind of like having a little bit more of an automatic person at that position. So like knowing that after Talia kind of gets the ball down the field that, you know, it really will either be three or seven rather than kind of like potentially zero or six or whatever kind of the case may be. So I think that Joseph Petrino was definitely a consistent kind of force for Maryland in terms of like how long he played for Maryland and kind of some of these games that he's had and that game winner against Illinois was definitely a huge point in his career and a huge point for Maryland because without that win, you know, pinstripe bowl wouldn't have really been or may have not been an option. And so you look at what Petrino did. He had some great moments. He had some rockier moments, but I think Ryland will bring a lot more consistency in terms of like um, his numbers and his stats that he ends up putting up next year. Yeah, and the thing for me is Ryland, you know, he may be coming from Eastern Michigan, not the, the strongest football school, you know, not, not like the Big Ten. But if you're just looking at a kicker, it's either you can do it or you can't. So just, because, just, so, just looking at Ryland's 19 for 22 uh, kicking percentage and then going two for two from over 55 yards, 
that just that's all I need to see to know that this is a quality transfer that Michael Loxley's bringing into this program. And he was he had junior standing last year for uh, Eastern Michigan. So it, it seems that he's going to be stepping into the, uh, a starting kicker role. And I and special teams was where Maryland struggled a lot last year. Uh, but they still ended up with a seven and six record. And now it seems that their offense is set in stone. So I think that's all we'll talk about Maryland football for now. And I do, I do oh, think it's worth, never mind. I do think it's worth mentioning just all the coaching changes that have gone on and we can get into that a little bit, but obviously there's reports last week that um, Maryland may, may have been signing Kevin Steele um, as a defensive coordinator. He apparently Reports indicate that he agreed to it verbally, had an office set up. He was already recruiting this past weekend. And then on Monday, he took a deal with um, Miami. So he will not be Maryland's defensive coordinator, even though they thought and everyone thought he might be for a little bit, obviously well-respected. But besides that, um, Brian Stewart and the team, they, they, he was like the co-defensive coordinator last year. Uh, they parted ways. And then on the offensive side, Mike Miller was named co-offensive coordinator. He was formerly the tight ends coach. And they brought in uh, Gunter Brewer who's to work with the wide receivers and as a wide receivers coach, who is very well respected. And he's obviously going to have a terrific wide receiver room. So when you already have the talent in the wide receiver room, and then you bring in a coach like that, who's incredibly well respected and has worked with a ton of great wide receivers um, over the years. I mean, I, th I think they, they made some quality moves over these last couple of days. Yeah. I mean, I would agree. I think that Brewer is a great hire for Maryland in the sense of like you touched upon Sam worked with great receivers in the past and Maryland is expected to have a really loaded wide receiver room. We looked at that a little bit this season, but injuries kind of um, start to slowly decimate it a little bit. But when you look at the future of this wide receiver room for Maryland and all the returners and all the new pieces that, you know, Loxley they're picked up in recruiting or through the transfer portal, um, there's a lot of potential there. And to bring on someone who has so much experience is going to do, in my opinion, nothing but good things for this wide receiver group. Must have been a very hard job to pass up considering Maryland's wide receiver core coming in with Dante Demas, Rakim Jarrett, Jacob Copeland, and two four-star wide receivers next year to lead the way. So Maryland football coaching staff seems to be in good hands moving forward. And Maryland's basketball, a little bit of a different tune this season, obviously. And this past week, there have been two games since our last podcast, and Maryland has fallen to an even 11-11 record. Three and eight in conference play after losses to both Indiana and Michigan State, both of which came in College Park. Uh, there, there was some hope after the Rutgers and Illinois wins. Maryland started to rattle off some momentum. Illinois was ranked number 17 when Maryland beat their shorthanded lineup. But after this two-game winning streak, the, after that two-game winning streak, and now this two-game losing streak that they're on, the Terps are firmly in the Big Ten's basement, only ahead of Minnesota and Nebraska. So just before we get into the Indiana game and the, the Michigan State game, just looking at this brief two-game losing streak, was this kind of like the final straw on Maryland season? I know we've been kind of saying that throughout the weeks with each loss and can they string together some kind of run, but those two games were against some of the top teams in the Big Ten. They had a chance to get it done at home. After those two losses, where do you see Maryland's NCAA tournament chances and how much longer do they really have before it's just times out? Yeah. I mean, look, you could have said weeks ago that they didn't really have a shot at the NCAA tournament, but I think now it's pretty much solidified. They have zero shot of making the NCAA tournament, of course, unless getting an at-large bid 
I mean, of course, if they win the Big Ten tournament somehow, which would be miraculous, then they they would obviously get the automatic bid. So then they could. But other than that happening, they have they are out of out of the conversation for the NCAA tournament. And, you know, coming into these last two games against Indiana and Michigan State, they were on a two game winning streak. They beat Illinois without Kofi, but still a good team. And then they uh, beat Rutgers. So it kind of felt like they still it was going to be an uphill battle, but maybe they could get towards the middle of the pack of the Big Ten uh, coming in with a big matchup against against Indiana, excuse me, two home games. But obviously they fell short against Indiana and then they lost a, a thriller against Michigan State. So, yeah, they are towards the bottom of that Big Ten basement. That's where they're going to finish the year around probably that 10, 11, 12 range. And they have no chance of making an NCAA tournament. It's as simple as that. Yeah, and I think in terms of what Maryland can do for the rest of the season is really just kind of play spoiler for other teams. And I think that they have the potential to do that. I think that if these last few games have shown every anything, even though they're not ending up in the column that maybe they would have preferred to get them to get them in a position to be in a tournament, kind of don't know what when this team is kind of playing its best, you don't really know. Um, what the outcome of the game can really be. And they have the opportunity to maybe shock a few teams and shake things up a little bit in the ranking simply by just maybe beating a few teams they're not supposed to. But I think in terms of their position, I don't fully disagree. I think their position's relatively solidified that they won't be making the tournament unless, again, they pull something out um, at the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, realistically, they're going to have to pull off some kind of crazy upset, whether it be at Purdue. They're going to have to do at least three or four five upsets moving forward in the Big Ten, and then they have to capture – they basically have to win out is is what it kind of seems like as of right now if they want uh, a good chance to make the tournament. Tough slate coming up with Ohio State, Iowa, and Purdue, which we will get to later. But I guess I, – I, I mean, I'm on the same page with, with all you guys. I think the season is – um, well, NC, the seasons obviously will still go, but the NCAA tournament hopes are pretty much diminished. I think they needed to win one out of two against Indiana or Michigan State to kind of keep it alive. The real chance was against Michigan State, in which they lost by two. But the first one was against Indiana, which was on the 29th of January. It ended 68-65 to 65 in favor of Indiana. Maryland started this one off uh, pretty much on a hot note. They were 8-0 to start the game on an 8-0 run. Indiana responds with nine straight points. They go up by one. It was a back-and-forth first half. But then Indiana started to pour it on, similarly to what we saw the Spartans do last game. They went on a quick run near the end of the half, went up 33-26. to Trace Jackson Davis had a big slam to end the half. They eventually got the score to 54-39, to then closed out the Terps in the 13-point road win. Maryland's offense really, really struggled in this game, they couldn't really seem to find any footing along the perimeter, whether it be inside. They just seemed to have a lot of problems with what Mike Woodson's defense offered them. A, a big reason of that was because of Trace Jackson Davis's defense, Race Thompson's defense. And the Terps shot 29% from the field, six for 27 from three as well, only 22%. Was, was this offensive performance more of Indiana's defense? kind of just outdueling the Terps or was it more of like shades of how the Terps played remember the beginning of the year when their offense just couldn't hit a shot for their life and it really uh, brought me back to think about that's exactly how they looked at the beginning of the season was it more of that Indiana defense or just them 
going back to their old shooting woes. Yeah, um, I think in the Indian defense did some things well. They obviously had good coverage on Ayala, which kind of um, sped him up a little bit. And he he struggled from the field that game. But you know, it's more it's more about Maryland as far as I'm concerned. It was just a game that they just didn't hit shots, and we've seen that. You know, you, we're we're going to get that inconsistently from them because they're an inconsistent offensive team. And when they don't try to establish themselves in the paint early and just rely on chucking up shots from deep, which they certainly did this game, they attempted a crazy amount of threes, 27 threes they attempted. I think it was their tied for their second most that they've attempted all year. When you attempt that many threes and you're not a great three-point shooting team and you're not driving and attacking the rim, you're going you're gonna to struggle from outside. You're going to struggle to shoot the ball, which they did. If you're not hitting shots, you're not going to beat a good team. And But the, the big thing for me is, how this team is closing out first halves. You know, they've been neck and neck all these games throughout the first half. And these last like four or five minutes, usually after that media timeout with under four minutes in the first half, they start to fall apart. And they, it, was, it was somewhat tight games against Indiana and then this past game against Michigan State under four minutes. And those last three or four minutes or so, they kind of just fell apart and went into halftime with double-digit leads. Obviously, against Michigan State, they were able – or double-digit deficits, excuse me. Obviously, against Michigan State, they were able to fight back and make it a ball game again, but Indiana just took advantage in that second half. So it's they really need to clean up. If they're going to play spoiler, spoiler to some of these teams, they need to clean up how they're closing out that first half and going to the break with not, not trailing so much, really. Yeah, I think you touched upon it when you talk about paint touches. Um, uh, Coach Manning always talks about how for this team, they do the best when they're kind of driving into the paint and finding those paint touches, whether that's um, rebounding or getting the layups or just drawing fouls early and getting to the bonus early. And he feels strongly about that. And he, I think he's talked about that since really probably one of his first press conferences. And so I think in this Indiana game, they kind of struggled to do so. And when the shots aren't falling or things aren't working from there and the shots aren't falling from deep, um, it's very challenging for this Maryland team to get back. And another thing that, um, the interim head coach has kind of touched upon is taking ownership for that lull towards the end of the first half, how Maryland's able to seemingly stay with it. And then suddenly um, the other team kind of runs away and creates a much bigger deficit for Maryland to have to climb back from. And not fully sure what that is attributed to, but I'm interested to see now that it's happened so many times consecutively, if there is sort of an adjustment that's kind of made and rather that adjustment is rather than the adjustment being made four minutes later when they're in the locker room at the half, if it can be made kind of in the middle of the first half and see if Maryland's able to kind of keep their momentum going and not let things slip when they, it's seemingly like a back and forth battle. And then all of a sudden at halftime, things are very different. Yeah, and Maryland's offense in the second half really sputtered uh, the Terps. And with the season now 55 points, obviously against Indiana, only 20 total points in the paint, only 10 paint points in the second half, seven for 21 on layups in what was the Terps' 10th loss of the season. Fats Russell injured his wrist hand area in the second half. He was grimacing in pain for quite a while. His availability was up in the air for that Michigan State game. He finished with 12 points and 25% shooting against the Hoosiers. Hakeem Hart had a quiet team-high 15 points, but it didn't really matter. And it didn't matter because when you end with 55 points against a, a team like Indiana, it's most likely going to end in a loss. And that's exactly what happened in the Xfinity Center. Dante Scott and Eric Ayala especially struggled for Maryland's a combined three for 19 shooting. And we know that they are the two leaders on this team. 
does does Maryland have any kind of uh, this may be a little obvious, but does Maryland have any kind of shot of winning games if those two are shooting that poorly as it is? Because Zayala was just two for ten from deep, and that's just not going to get it done against a team like Indiana. Probably not, Dylan. That's a good point. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um. You know, I mean, every guy has their best player. He's their leading scorer. They really go as he goes. You know, if he's on, if he's clicking, they're going to have a good offensive night. If he's not, they're probably going to struggle. Um, you know, Fats and Dante are both capable of having those big nights um, at any moments. Dante's, when he had 25 a few games ago, it wasn't necessarily – Ayala played well, but it wasn't necessarily his greatest night either. Um, so, but, but really, you know, if Ayala, their best player, isn't clicking and he's not knocking down shots, they're, they're not going to have a lot of success. And, you know – Indiana was playing him well, but Maryland also needs to screen him open. They need to find ways for him to get and run sets through him. They need to find ways for him to get better looks. Whether that's driving to the rim, doesn't need to be settling for threes. And I think he needed to drive to the rim a little more in that game. But, you know, whatever it is, they need to help him uh, succeed offensively because that team won't succeed unless he is. Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree. I think that Maryland has a lot of options for – we've seen flashes of this throughout the season where at the beginning of the season the storyline was depth. Clearly that wasn't really the case offensively at the beginning. We've seen flashes of it here and there, but there are certain players who when they aren't having a good night, it's a lot harder for Maryland to kind of pull the pieces together. Um, someone like Hakeem Hart can have a colder shooting night or um, either Julian or Q, whoever's playing a, at the five, can have a – a uh, colder night in terms of shooting, but if the rest of the offense is kind of doing their job, um, it's pretty easy to pull through because oftentimes in those situations, um, like for example, when Hakeem Hart's not shooting well, a lot of times he's bringing stuff off the ball, whether it's defense or whatever the case may be. And so I think though, when Eric Ayala is not shooting as well, it's a lot harder for the rest of the offense to kind of pull the pieces together, especially if Dante Scott is having a colder night as well, because I think for him, I think we've seen it a little bit. When he's shooting cold, it kind of continues throughout the game. It's a little bit harder for him to bounce back. Whereas with Ayala, a lot of times he'll be cold in the beginning. And whether that he had that stretch in the first half where he was scoring like two points, no points, whatever the case may be in the first half. And Maryland was getting down and not really able to find it. But as soon as he started shooting more, scoring more, whatever the case may be in that second half, they were able to pull ahead. And so I think I agree with you, Sam, that kind of just – working the offense and making sure that Ayala is having those opportunities really helps get this offense going. And you look at Indiana's side of things. I mean, they ended with 68 points, 13 road win against Maryland. Good luck for them. And a big reason for that was because of how Trace Jackson Davis and Reese Thompson were able to attack the inside of like in the heart of Maryland's defense. It was just coming to them really easily. There seemed to be no response from this defense whatsoever. What were you guys noticing about what they were able to do against Maryland's interior defense? Because what I was seeing was at some point you just have to credit the talent of the player. I mean, Maryland was doing what they could inside, but just the overall shooting is just shows you how talented that those two big men are. Trace Jackson Davis, both and Trace Jackson Davis and, Race Thompson both ended with the same exact shooting clip, both seven for 12 from the field. They combined for 35 points. And those 35 points were only 20 less than what Maryland was able to do in total. So obviously what they were doing on the floor was superior to what Maryland could offer on defense. What exactly did you guys see 
that they were doing on the inside against the Terps? Well, I think it was more just that Maryland was settling. You know, they weren't even trying to get to the basket as much as they should have been and, you know, really establish a presence inside, which is when they have a lot of success, it's because they're, they're driving the lanes, they're playing through the post, and then they're kicking out and it's opening up shots because the defense has to worry about more of their inside presence. But, you know, from the really, from the start of that game, or when Maryland started to struggle, it's because they were chucking up shots from deep. I mean, I said they 27 three-point attempts, they only made six of them. So that, that kind of comes when you go down early and you have to fight back from big lead. You kind of might shoot a little more threes than you should be. But it, I think it was more just Maryland's offense and how stale and how stale it was. And, and they were just chucking up shots instead of even trying to attack and trying to put pressure on Indiana's defense and maybe get them, get them in a little bit of foul trouble and get, get to the free throw line, which obviously Danny Manning talks a lot about. So I just think it was more Maryland's offense than anything. Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree. We've watched Maryland struggle against playing defense against top players on other teams, no matter what position that is, but specifically kind of with um, in this game, maybe Trace Jackson Davis didn't have, who leads them, didn't have the most points, but he was one shy of that. So realistically, I think Maryland just sometimes struggles to kind of get into a rhythm defending some of these players. and. Uh, quite honestly, it wasn't that they've had players score more points against them than this, but I think that they weren't able to get things going themselves offensively, and that just kind of exaggerated what um, Jackson Davis and Thompson were doing. I think stale is a good way to put Maryland's offense into context, especially in the last two games, but more specifically this Indiana one, and they tied their season low in points with 55. The last time they put up 55, I believe, was that Virginia Tech performance I'm quickly running through no it was the uh, it was the Louisville game it was the Louisville game back in the Bahamas so it hadn't been it had been a long time since Maryland had scored this few points and uh, a lot of credit to Indiana's defense as to what they were able to do to stop Maryland Maryland ends just 16 for 56 from the field only six made three pointers on 27 attempts not great shooting percentages and despite Maryland holding Indiana to no field goals in the last four and a half minutes, their stale offense still secures that 13-point loss that they had. And then even with that big crowd that they had, there was still a big crowd at the, uh, the game against Michigan State. There was a huge, huge game. It was, so they had the, the whiteout at Indiana, and then they had the blackout Vegas theme at the, the Michigan State game in College Park. And if, if Maryland were to win it, they, they could have easily put that Indiana loss behind them. And I said this before, I think they needed to win one out of two games. And this was the bigger game, number 13 Michigan State coming off that loss to, uh, that, to Illinois, in which they lost to a shorthanded fighting Illini team. They came into College Park, and if they were to fall to Maryland, it would have been Danny Manning's third-ranked win of the season. But it was a low-scoring game right from the get-go, back-and-forth contest, very similar to the Indiana one. And then Michigan State went on that kind of really quick scoring burst to end the first half that seemingly came out of nowhere. They ended on a 10-0 run. Maryland never regained the lead from that point. And then we all know what happened at the end. Maryland started to crawl back in that second half. And then a a bucket with 1.9 seconds left uh, did Maryland in. What were some initial takeaways from that matchup specifically? First, before we get into the actual game, you know, I think it's encouraging to see how many students showed up for both the Indiana game and then the Michigan State game. Obviously, the whiteout for Indiana, 
people came out. I think it was the best atmosphere to start um, the, the entire the entire season, really, even more than the Virginia Tech game, Turgeon's last game ever, which was a great atmosphere. But so the students came out, they showed out even in a down struggling year for Maryland basketball. And that was a Saturday game. And then you thought maybe after that letdown, people wouldn't show us show up as much for the Michigan State game. But they certainly did. You know, the student section was both student sections were completely packed. Um, so it was encouraging to see the students still showing up even when they're struggling. And it was loud because it was a great game. So, you know, another thing that they showed, and maybe Maryland felt felt fed off the crowd a little bit, but they showed a lot of heart and they showed that they're not going to give up the season. You know, they're not going to make the tournament. They're not really playing for much at this point other than for the love of the game, I guess. But they they showed that they're not going to give up. Even when they were down big, another poor end to the first half when Michigan State went on a 10-0 run to close the first half. Maryland went into the break with a double-digit deficit. They were down as, as many as 15 in the second half. And they fought all the way back and tied the game up. And obviously, it was neck and neck down to the very until the very end the Michigan State got a layup to go. But it was a great atmosphere. They showed they're not going to fight. They're not going to – they're going to fight, and they're not going to quit at any moment in time this season. Yeah, and I think this was one of my favorite games to cover this season. I think that it was so exciting and kind of down to the wire, and you kind of spend so much time covering this team and these players, and you can't help but think about everything that they've been going through and just to see kind of – the fight that they were able to put on, you know, national television, whatever the case may be against a top 15 opponent, big 10 opponent is definitely an exciting game to cover. And it says just so much about this team's fight and this team's kind of willingness to keep going. And, you know, every, uh, everyone who was available after the game. So it was Ayala, Russell, and then Manning. We're all talking about kind of the fight and the drive that this team has and how they want to build off of it going forward. And I think that's really telling for kind of the mindset, at least that this team is putting out there right now, which is that despite the wildness that this season has presented, you know, starting the season as a preseason ranked team and going through all the twists and turns with coaching changes and having transfers at the beginning of the season, all of that, just knowing that like they kind of walk away with this game, knowing that it's something that they want to build off of, I think is really a telling of what this specific team's kind of potential is and you know kind of leaves a question mark for what the rest of the season can look like again we talked about it they would pretty much have to win out to make a tournament but to kind of look at how they played against Michigan State and that being their most recent game and having a really tough test coming ahead of them with all these opponents they have coming up but knowing that they want to use this game to build off of and fight off of if they play kind of like this they really have a chance to pull off some random upsets in the Big Ten. And the real problem in this game for Maryland was just, I, I, I wrote this in one of my takeaways. It was that little scoring run at the end of the first half that really did them in. And then they eventually obviously followed the Michigan State, but they really came back in that second half, despite their top scorers really not playing too well. And I'll ask something about that in a second, but I just wanted to say that I, I think it's, it's, it shows a lot about the culture of this program, the fact that they were able to, to fight back and to give themselves a real chance against the top 13 team in the nation in Michigan State. Because after that run, I mean, the, the air, the, the hype was kind of sucked out of the building after that run. And then even in the first minutes of the second half, it still seemed like Michigan State was going to be able to maintain their lead. They were hitting some shots. And Maryland started to slowly crawl back, and they could have easily just given up. I mean. 
I think after the loss, I think they understand that that might have been the nail in the, the final nail in the coffin on their NCAA tournament hopes. I'm, I'm, I'm sure they all know that. And if you just look at this game as a whole, the, the main thing that really stands out is to what got away from Maryland in this one. It was that their two top scorers, Eric Ayala and Dante Scott, their efficiency just wasn't there once again for a second straight game. And that, that turned out to be the difference in this one. Eric Ayala had 15 points on four for 15 shooting. Dante Scott, 14 points, but on five of 13 shooting. That's 19 missed shots out of the combined two of them. And that obviously can't happen against a, a top 25 team in the nation if you want to get an upset at home. Was it surprising at all that Maryland was able to keep it so close despite Ayala and Scott not being able to generate with the same efficiency as we saw a few games prior to that Indiana game? So, I mean, I think like, when you look at Ayala and, and Dante Scott, yeah, they weren't incredibly efficient, but they did do a good job of getting to the free throw line and generating points other ways. I mean, Ayala had 15. Obviously, it's not his most game, but Dante Scott had 14. That's above his average. We were dealing with technical difficulties after that brief transition from our quick talk about the efficiency of the team. So we're going to have to wrap up a little early today. But first, we're going to talk about the upcoming schedule for Maryland. They have three games ahead, one against Ohio State on the road, a home matchup against Iowa, and then a road matchup against Purdue. Do you guys think that Maryland has any chance of winning two out of three of these games, maybe one out of three? How are you guys looking at the the upcoming stretch of these difficult Big Ten games coming up? I was just going to say that I think a game that they have a potential shot at winning is definitely Iowa, just simply because of this whole rematch kick that they're on. They won all their rematches this season, which I think is three of them. They came close to Iowa the first time. I mean, Keegan Murray is going to be a tough opponent the second time, but I think that if I'm looking at those three games, that's one that kind of stands out to me that like could be a possibility back at home. Maybe if people, um, if, Students show up, fans show up the same way they've been showing up for the last really seems to feed off of it. Not saying it's a definite win, just saying that's the one that stands out to me. Yeah, I, like this was obviously going to be, you know, coming to the season, a critical, difficult stretch in the Big Ten when they had playoff hopes. Obviously, those are shattered. So, you know, they really have playing with nothing to lose. And teams can be dangerous when they're playing with nothing to lose. And, and they're playing against great opponents because we've seen, we, we know they can compete with the best teams in this conference when they're playing they're best in giving all their fight. So they will play upset to some team down the road, maybe even in the Big Ten tournament, and it's going to be a tough loss for them. You know, I don't really see them losing on the road to Ohio State um, or on the road to Purdue. Those are two of the best teams in the conference and the country who could easily win the Big Ten crown and maybe even make Final Four runs. So I don't see them losing on the road to either of those teams. Iowa, I do see you – know, Iowa's been struggling a little bit. You know, they're – the middle of the Big Ten, even a little bit towards the bottom. And I think that, like, we've seen Maryland, they've won every single game when they've played the second time. They've played the team the second time this year. So this is their next matchup, but they already lost to Iowa this year. It wasn't particularly close, even though they kept it close for, for parts of that game. But I do think that maybe Maryland could play spoiler to Iowa there, depending on how desperate of that Iowa team is. But at the same time, this could easily be an 0-3 stretch for Maryland. Yeah, I think I'm on board with the uh, the 0-3 stretch for the most part. I, obviously, you just look at those two daunting road games, Ohio State and Purdue. Purdue, I would say, is easily the tougher of the two matchups. 
Uh, I wouldn't say that they have a good chance of winning against Ohio State in Columbus. And I would agree that Iowa is definitely the best chance to try to crawl back within the Big Ten standings. So with that, I think we can uh, quickly give our score predictions for the Iowa uh, for the Ohio State game. Excuse me. And I will go first with my Ohio State prediction on the road. And I will say that Maryland is going to lose, mm, I'll say, 75 to 60. I think Maryland is going to lose 76 to 65. I think Maryland is going to lose um, <laughs> 72 to 60. Okay, pretty straightforward. We're all on the same page. Uh, and Maryland's going to have a, a tough three-game stretch coming up. Once again, their record's 11-11, 3-8 in conference play. And after this two-game losing streak, their next match matchup will be against Ohio State. So that'll do it for this Testudo Times podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this week. Sorry we had to cut it off a little short. Our collective Wi-Fi is failing us right now. But we will be back next week, next Thursday, to talk about a few Maryland men's basketball matchups and any football news that comes along. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back next Thursday.